is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Your host, Dan, here alongside Nick. It is the march to Brandon Busby's wedding, Nicholas, and he will not be on the podcast, uh, which may make some people sad, may make some people happy. I don't know. For the next week to two weeks as he gets ready for those nuptials and gets ready for a wonderful honeymoon as well. But, Nick, how excited are we for one Brandon Busby? I think we all know that I've prepared many speeches for the wedding, so we're going to work those in over the course of the weekend. None of which have been approved and none of which will be said in any auditorium. I haven't actually been invited to any of the, the stuff yet, but I'll just show up and just make it happen. Um, no, we're excited for him. Obviously, it's a big moment in, in his life. So, uh, you know, send your well wishes uh, up in the air and, and everything will go well. Uh, but, yeah, he's going to take a few weeks off, uh, as as uh, has been wont to do with, uh, with other big occasions. But it means that we have to find, Dan, more than just a way to save the world in our normal context. We have to find... Uh, different, new, and important voices to help share the space with while we we lack one Busby. That's right. Todd Bowley, as reported, jet-setting around Europe. The man does not sleep for Chelsea. We will not sleep for you. And we are going to create more content, and we're really excited to get a Twitter follow that you might know, the wonderful CFC Central, joining us here to chat a little bit of Chelsea players. And so, uh, Sam, welcome to London is Blue for your first official cap. Thank you so much. I've been I've been actually waiting for this for the longest time. I've I've been a huge fan even before I was on Twitter. So, this is a this is a pure fanboy moment for me to be next to you guys and talk football. So, really really thrilled to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Nick I mean, is just smiling. Nick is just smiling. He's too nice. <laughs> usually our guests, our guests usually come on and, and give us some shit, you know, they usually come on and get, no, just incredibly nice. I mean, if, if you followed uh, Central and or Sam, however, uh, you prefer to acknowledge him. Uh, we've been huge fans of his uh, threads for, for a long time now. And uh, he just does quality work. So, you know, we want to, want to get quality uh, quality voices onto the show as much as we possibly can. And it, it makes a difference, especially, Dan, as we're in this uh, in this summer period because there's a lot of different players, talent, and profiles to talk about. Well, that's right. It is all about the summer operations for Chelsea that are fully underway. And we're going to take some time with Sam on the show to profile six top targets so six players in total and look these are not players that are guaranteed to sign for Chelsea because anything can happen anything can happen in silly season but we're going to go through defensive and attacking options we'll say midfield maybe for a second or follow-up episode here but in defense we're going to go through uh not Santa Claus but Jonathan Claus so we got Mateus Lick and Kunde as our three individuals that we want to take a look at and we're going to talk about Dembele Richarlison and Sterling in the attack all right, and so this is actually going to be a two-parter. That's right, we didn't get to that initially, but it is a two-part episode. So the defenders are going to be who we talk about first. So we're going to get them in and talk about the defenders, the three defenders, over a wonderful almost hour-long episode. And then we're going to get to the attackers in a similar fashion in another hour-ish episode as we talk about Chelsea's business to get done this summer and how Todd Bowley is racking up those frequent flyer miles. But before we do that, Nicholas, we want to say a little bit of thanks and some wonderful announcements to Apple Podcast people, Spotify, Patreon, and talk a little summer tour. So I'll let you do that. I'll let you take the, the reins there for a moment. 
I'm, I'm just going to go on a, on a big diatribe here. Apple we'll Podcasts, care. we got to get back on these folks. Uh, it's been too long, but thanks to uh, Fuchi, 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 or Fuchi, whatever. Um, it's a lot of letters and consonants in a row there um, from our guy. Uh, from the U.S. and also Biomolecules Mules, which I love, from the U.S. Uh, look, more five-star reviews, please. These help us uh, get found and uh, solidify our places. Uh, the best of the best of the best. Uh, Spotify, 4.9 stars on average. Look, we'd love to have a five there, but 4.9 is not too bad. We have over 1.1K uh, on the platform now. We are uh, very close to catching ESPN FC in the States and frankly uh, deserve to beat them because I think we're better than what they put out every week. Um, so let's get after them for sure on, on Spotify. If you haven't done that, just go hit the old five stars. You don't have to leave a review on that platform. They don't even let you. So easy peasy. Uh, and then Patreon, uh, Ariel, Lewis, Shell, Tiffany, and the yearly renewal from our good friend and person that we've had many beers with in London, Ardale Hall. Uh, he's, he's the best. So uh, look, thank you to everyone who's supporting us in, the, in these free, uh, very time-limited ways. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, summer tour. I did a whole diatribe about this on our Friday episode, so I'm not going to do the full 10 to 15 minute version here. Dan just took a deep breath of relief. Uh, but just note that we are going to be doing uh, a special pod uh, for our Patreon and, and Discord listeners in Vegas on Friday. Uh, we're going to be doing some sort of live show on either the Friday or the Saturday. TBD still working on it. Uh, in Vegas, and then we are going to do a bit of a pool party on Saturday and a bit of a uh, live podcast recording in the Blue Wire studio on Sunday. That's our Vegas plan. Uh, our Charlotte plan is a little bit more simple. We're going to do uh, a night before show um, at the Re-Raw, so come out, have fun, and then the day of, we'll just be hanging out in Charlotte because you guys are apparently real wild, and we want to see the spectacle. And then Orlando, still working on it, but li likely the same plan uh, night before live pod recording, uh, all these live pod recordings should be with a journalist friend of ours that you probably know. Uh, and then we'll just be hanging out the day of. And so lots going on. We'd love to see as many of you as humanly possible. I've been working on all of these details. They're very tricky to put together on short notice. So thanks for bearing with me. And uh, we'll see you on tour. Come see us on tour. Otherwise, you're going to break Nick's heart. That's really the message we want to convey. I've been here. doing and too much work for you not yeah. to come out and see us. Come on. Look, it's it's fragile. It's a fragile thing. A fragile. We, we just cannot let that happen. But anyway, we're going to talk about things that are hopefully a little less fragile, and that's the defensive qualities of these players that we're going to profile here today. And Sam, I wanted to start us off with one that Chelsea fans have gotten to know pretty intimately over the past year plus after one summer of a potential incoming pushed out a year, but now maybe back again, flirting with Chelsea, a possibility, Jules Koundé. And uh, maybe if you want to kind of just jump in as to your initial, uh, how excited would you be to have Jules Koundé at Chelsea? I, I think he's an extremely special talent. When, when it comes to young, world-class, progressive centre-backs, I think he's right up there. And um, just when I watch him play, I've, I've seen him play I, arguably more than anybody else in terms of our transfer targets, probably about 25, 30 games. And his calmness, his composure on the ball, how intelligent he is. He just looks like he's ready to take that next step. He's excellent at carrying, excellent at dribbling. He's, he's as elegant as, you know, any centre-back that you can say in, in the upper echelons of the game. So I think he'd be ready to make the jump. He's 
broken into the France team. He's sort of like, I, I think he's taken over Pavard's place at uh, right centre-back. So I think he offers particular skill sets that can also improve places that we've been lacking. So really, really excited. You know, it's just that I think they'll be taking a little too much time haggling with Sevilla and then Barcelona sort of saying that we need to get here and, and do stuff. But if we can pull that off for about 55 million, I think he's I think he's a no-brainer, especially if we go with the back three. Is that would you the- be excited as well? How are how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, he he's always kind of struck me as a bit of a an in between player, right? Because he does play in a back four for France. Um, he's played as kind of the the de facto right back for for Deschamps at times, and then we've seen him play right center back as well. Um, Sam, I guess my question to you is: Is he actually versatile, or is he pretend versatile? Um, and what I mean by that is. Can he, you know, let's pretend that we go to a back four for whatever reason next year. Perhaps we pick up a certain player that we will, I'm sure, talk about in the future. And, and we transition to a midfield three and, and we go with the back four. Is this player versatile in a four as well as a three? Or in your mind, is is, is picking up Jules Koundé a commitment to the back three for the uh, foreseeable future? Um, I think he's I think he's versatile. I do think that to maximize his strengths, you need certain tactical tweaks like you very wisely mentioned without actually mentioning the name but we do need somebody to be able to slot in when he makes those progressive acts he's he's somebody who's very very good at the middle and attacking third something that you don't expect from a center back who's playing in a back four uh, but he's also got good cover. You've, Sevilla have got some very good defensive midfielders Fernando um, Nemanja Gudeli all these guys can drop back make sure that he's covered when he goes upstairs. So I do think that we will need one of those profiles in there to protect whenever he does go up. It's not like he cannot play a disciplined role, but I just feel like if you're buying him for a back four, you should be able to to maximize on his strengths, which is basically going into, you know, the attacking third, trying to create overloads on the right-hand side. And especially if we get one of the other signings that we're looking for, you're going to free up space for Reese James and say the other right winger, whoever we're looking at. So I think it isn't a commitment as such, but if you want to maximize his his qualities, then we do require the right players in midfield as well. So would you say you kind of talk about him in like that back four, potentially pushing forward and leaving some space in behind? Do you envision that being similar to like a Liverpool, Trent Alexander-Arnold type situation where sometimes the space is extremely vacated due to how forward the player may or will likely get? Arguably, uh, Trent is different in the sense that he's able to create from say, the half-space lanes. He can sit in midfield and he can put in those early crosses for one of the forwards making runs in behind, like Yota. And now probably you've got uh, Darwin Nunez who'll be able to to capitalize on those deliveries as well. But Kunde, in the sense, he doesn't really cross as much as you would expect from, from somebody getting up. He's just happy to create space. He's happy to give the ball short passes to somebody else and create havoc. But he's possessed Positionally, he's, I think, very intelligent in the sense he knows he doesn't have that threat with the ball, but he will just create enough avenues for other guys like Reese James or say hopefully you know, Usman Dembele or, or Raheem Sterling to, to go ahead and get some space. So it will leave gaps. Um, Sevilla deal with it in some interesting ways. They've got 
one of the right backs pushing in as a center back, which Reese James can do as a right center back. And sometimes you've got the left back pushing in as a as an auxiliary center back. So they've got Marcos Acuna, who also does that as a left center back. So Chilwell can also play there, I think. He's good enough to do it. Uh, so I think there are there are different tweaks that Tuchel can do when it comes to, to making the most out of him. But uh, yeah, I, I think having that midfielder able to sort of cover in behind will be crucial. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that I'm hearing here is that sometimes... Um, you know, I think this was in your analysis as well, that like sometimes because he's an aggressive player, right, that mm. he can get passed by. That's a concern for me in the Premier League because that is the entire game. Um, you know, you've seen players come into the Premier League who overplay their hand at times and get absolutely burned because of the pace and style of play that happens in, in the league. I mean, it's probably not uh, too much of a stretch to say it's the most physical league in the world. Um, so... Is that is that something that we need to be aware of, you know, before any potential transfer uh, comes in for him? That you know, there there could be moments where he's looking behind, and, and a, an opposition player like Darwin Nunez is is you know fifteen yards beyond him. Um, there have been instances in the Champions League, for example, when I've seen him just brainlessly go, like just not thinking about anything, and go press next to the box as a centre back in a back four, and suddenly the players just passed him by and he's 15 yards behind trying to recover. But I think in those situations, more than defending, the ideal thing to deal with a counterattack is delay. Can you delay attacks for two, three seconds the way that you do in La Liga? And, and I think you probably answered that question, probably no. So do we have the capacity to let him do that kind of work? I think he can. To be honest, he's got the pace, he's got the strength to deal with with very quick attackers one by one. I mean, I've, I've seen him come up against Eden Hazard uh, against Belgium. He's done that against Yannick Carrasco. He's done that against Vinicius. He's very good 1v1. Somebody who, against world-class attackers, holds his own, doesn't get phased, defends very calmly. It's just trying to figure out, do you want him as a very static centre-back, somebody who's happy to pass and, and threaten from deep, which he can do? Or if you want to maximize his threat level and say, okay, you know, do what you can do in, in the attacking thirds and, and do that. And I think that is something that Tuchel will have to sort of uh, put a microscope on and say, okay, what exactly do I need from this guy? Because if he does it in a back three, then he can do whatever he wants. I think there's enough there in the back line to protect him. Yeah, I think the one thing that has impressed me, and uh, I'm probably in the uh, you know, uh, you you have ten x to my total watch contributions of Kunde at this point in terms of matches I've watched it at duration. I've enjoyed a couple of the times of seeing him carry and retain the ball, which I think at times moving up and down the fl- flanks at pace is something that you know maybe not every one of our uh, right or left backs in particular have always been uh, better suited or, or strong at, and it seems like he would add a little bit more control, which I think is something that Tuchel would probably absolutely be gushing over. So how, how do you think that would adapt pace of the Premier League, his ability to retain possession and progress the ball forward? Is that something you're excited about as well? Super excited about it. I think he, against, against opponents that sit back against us, I think having that option of pushing up the center back and just creating positional disruptions, I think is a massive, massive thing to have. When we... I mean, I haven't seen Tuchel sort of 
push one of our center backs in a back four, like when we've played the 4-2-2-2 against Spurs and, and a couple of other occasions this season, we haven't really seen one of the other center backs take that level of risk. And just having someone who can push forward, who can, from, from a back four, you know, try and hit the byline for a cross, try and go to the box for a cutback. I think it's super exciting. And Diego Carlos, his, um, now he's at Aston Villa, but his um, centre-back partner, said he actually calls him Kafu because of how well he bombs up and down the flank. So, you know, he just says he's relentless. He can do this all day. He's had experience as a right-back. So he thinks like a right-back at centre-back and he plays as if he has nothing to lose. So I think that's super exciting to have in terms of a hidden weapon at center back to cause additional threats, I think I think it's super exciting. Yeah. Can, can we talk about his aerials? Because uh, I know that, <laughs> like, I think this yeah. is if, if you if you were talking about Kunde uh, with anyone, I think, and this is a concern that I have because I am a, a full inch taller than than uh, Kunde is. Uh, is that for for a profile of a center back in the Premier League, it is it is not as common. Although I know we have Cesar Spilicueta in the team currently to have a center back under six foot. Um, you know, if, if you think about some of the, the talent that exists in, in the league, you know, li- both of Liverpool's center backs are big. Both of City's center backs are, both, all of their center backs are big, all 10 of them. Um, you know, you, you think of the this typical profile of a center back, and it's not a 5'10 speed merchant uh, who can progress the ball. So he will be, you know, different if he comes into the team, right? Um mm-hmm. But even with his uh, shorter stature, that um, he he still does pretty well in the air. Can you maybe talk about his aerials and his and his height? I think the best answer comes from Kunde himself. I mean, he's got a couple of things that he that he talks about when it comes to his aerial prowess. Uh, one of the things he said was, you know, people think I'm short, so they try to hit me with with aerial balls, and they get surprised by just how good I am in the air, and I'm able to sort of win them all night long. And he says that he he won more aerial duels than Sergio Ramos did when he was playing, which is which is a fair point. You know, I think he says that height can be an advantage because people tend to perceive you're going to be bad in the air, but just how good he is at leaping, just how good and and how aggressive he is when he goes into aerial duels, I think is is something that works very well in his favor. He's he's got excellent numbers in his first season at Sevilla. He won like seventy four point five percent of his of his aerial duels, which is more than Delict has won at any of his um, seasons at Juventus. So hmm. he is very, very strong in the air. And he's very aggressive. When you see him jumping, it's not some, something that you'd see, say, from a Levi Colville, who is six feet, three and a half. But he's happy to have a very small, very medium kind of leap. Just butt it away somewhere and, and make sure that you use your height to your advantage. Kunde goes in full-blooded. He, he basically jumps at your back. He tries to shove you out of the way. And if you lose that aerial duel, even if at 5'10", he loses that duel, you've hassled your opponent enough to make sure he doesn't get a good effort on target, which I think is great. So he uses his physique to sort of boost his aerial duel um, shortcomings, uh, pun intended. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but I, think he's, I think he will be okay. With the back four, yes, I think there are, there are concerns because if you come up against, I mean, Wout Weghorst is gone now, but if you come up against the center forward of that pedigree, someone who's brutal in the air and you're keeping up against someone like that all game, then yes, it can cause issues. But if he's in a back three, no issue whatsoever. I think he will deal with it adequately. Are there any other concerns that you have about the player? I, I think, you know, 
there have been a lot of positives to take out of this experience and, and your view time of, of Jules Kunde. Are there any other things that you're like, man, I'm just, I'm still not sure about this. He would have to kind of prove it at Chelsea. I, I tend to think he's a little too casual when it comes to um, defending in his own box. He can appear a little lackadaisical. I think it's sort of his tendency to stay on feet. So even when you, when you, when you see those situations, for example, when a through ball is played in, and you're just about a yard away from a defender. Most defenders go for a desperate effort, like they lunge or they sliding tackle their way to try and block the shot. This guy just stays on feet. He tries to make sure that, for example, if there's a feint, if, if there is no cross, and if the attacker tries to go a step ahead, he's prepared for it. But he isn't prepared for the shot. He doesn't lunge. He doesn't block as adequately as, say, someone like a Tarkowski or, or one of those Burnley centre-backs tend to do. They throw their body everywhere. This guy is just, I'll stay on my feet. I will put a leg out, see if it happens. But if not, I'm on my foot to sort of make sure that the next action that the attacker takes, I'm prepared for. So that can make him look a little like, you know, out of sorts. But other than that, I think I think I have no other major concerns. Obviously, the injury and the surgery that he's not now had. I mean, the club is saying that it's minor. Not the club, but the reports are saying that it's minor and should be okay. But again... I am a little concerned in terms of signing a player just after as he's had an injury. We did that with Torres and, you know, that knee injury just took that half yard of pace away from him and, and we never saw that Fernando Torres again. So, slight concern there as well. But other than that, absolutely fine. His aggression can be tempered. I think in terms of when you see a Rudiger, the way he played at Roma and the way he played under Tuchel, somebody who can take that kind of full-blooded spirit to go and press in the attacking third, when to go, when not to go. I think those moments is something he learned to do in the Premier League because obviously he will have an understanding of how quick La Liga is, but when he understands how quick the PL is, he will make mistakes, but he will learn. But that's sort of, you know, he's 23 and, and I think that's enough time to learn in a couple of years. So positive that he will turn out to be a good signing. And potentially if you bring him in at 23, you get the opportunity to keep him for... You know, 10 years or so, if uh, all things go uh, according to plan, which is a nice place to be. But we have gone deep on Jules Koundé and what he could bring (laughs) to Chelsea, what the concerns are. And so we're going to take a real quick ad break. We thank these sponsors for financially supporting the show. When we get back, it is on to Mateus Lee. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable, resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things again i do it it's easy it's fast it's quick uh i throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work drink it 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 goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh, but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over seven thousand five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as 
Tim Ferriss, and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so next up... The man formerly from Ajax, now at mm. Juventus, dealing with subpar partnerships and center back, one Matthias Licht. Nick Verlaney, how excited would you be if he came to Chelsea? I feel like you're pretty excited. I, I like Matthias Delict. Um, you know, I think if you if you kind of power ranked all of the the left center back targets, which you know I think we'll get in, that's kind of where he would he would fit in here. Um, he would be up there for me. I, I don't know if I'd have him quite over Fafana or someone like that personally. Um, but you know, we're not talking about Fafana today, so we're going to talk about the Uh, I remember when we played him twice this year that, uh, he seems aggressive. Um, he's, he's built for tough as, as we like to say in the States. And, uh, he certainly has a commitment, uh, let's say a commitment to his game. Let's put that nicely. Uh, where where he goes in uh, on challenges, he, he's maybe a little too aggressive at times uh, against our our squad in Champions League. So, uh, yeah, this is one that's interesting. I mean, certainly the profile of player comes from Ajax, goes to Juventus, um, and you know, I I think is Premier League ready. But I am not the person who's done months of research on Matthias Delict. I think we have a person, Dan, who might be able to tell us more. Well, I, I think the the question. As we throw it to you, Sam, in terms of your excitement, also just right off the bat, is he the most English center back who is not an English <laughs> English national who should should be allowed to change nationalities just to play for the English national team? I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think he's more Burnley than he is Groningen, to be honest. He's, he's very, very English in the way he defends. Um, I would agree with Nick. I am a little skeptical in terms of whether he is the ideal name. But again, when I look at his overall numbers, when I look at his performances, it's it's been a little bit of a difficult task to say what exactly his playing style would be. To be honest, at Juventus, he's had three managers already. He's had Maurizio Sarri, he's had Andrea Pirlo, and now he's had Allegri. So it is a little difficult to understand what exactly his role is or what exactly is expected from him. and. Uh, after coming from Ajax, where you've been sort of touted as one of the best leaders in European football at the age of 19, to go from that to in the shadow of two of the best centre-backs to ever play the game, I think it's a, it can be a little overwhelming. It can cloud a lot of the confidence that you have in your own leadership abilities. But other than that, when it comes to his style of play, I think he could be a good deal. I, I know you've told me not to talk about money, but that aside, I think he would be, <laughs> he would be a very, very good signing. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that I like, you know, cause I think the, 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 the passion merchant mentality is, uh, is strong with him. The, the force is strong with Matthias select in terms of how he carries himself, how 
assertive he is, how vocal he is. And I think that's something that checks a lot of boxes for players, particularly in defense. When you think about the lack of a John Terry in this side, when you think about Antonio Rudiger leaving, Thiago Silva clearly has that on lock as well, but he also doesn't speak uh, fluent English, which could be a little bit of a challenge. And also probably has the issue of, uh, you know, look, he, he theoretically can play forever, but at some point, he will probably not be a starter or maybe not be able to start as many matches. And so having someone with a similar level of leadership or at least maturing to that level of leadership would be a value. But just in in general, I think those are some of the the intangibles are probably what get, gets people excited. But from your thought, Sam, what are some of the reasons why you would be excited from more of a actual skill set or ability? Um, the first thing that pops out to me is how well he defends his box. I think he's he's a he's a bloodhound when it comes to the box. He just doesn't let anything get past him. He reads threats very well. His blocks are are a very underrated part of his game. I think he's extremely brave when he throws his body into into the way of like you said a very typical Terry Butcher John Terry kind of mentality where he just doesn't matter where it hits me, but I will block that. None shall pass Gandalf situation. Yeah, you, sh- <laughs> you shall not pass. Yeah, absolutely. So he is he's somewhat uh, of that, you know, hardcore, don't care about, devil may care mentality kind of centre-back. Extremely good in the box. It's also physically robust. Uh, I mean, at his height and his frame, I don't think a lot of centre-backs are going to have a physical advantage against him. And the good thing is, I mean, um, I've seen a lot of times when when he tells Bonucci what to do. And, and that takes a lot of guts, to be honest. You know, mm. when he's playing for Juventus, he tries to tell him where to position himself. If, for example, he's made a mistake, he points out saying you should be marking that person. I think that's that's a sign of major leadership and, and a lot of courage, which tends to go under the radar when you're trying to analyze like on the ball actions. So I think he's he's great in terms of a profile. He can also play back three. He can also play a back four. He's done that for Netherlands. And the good thing is he can also play left center back, central center back, and right center back. He's played all across the back line. So again, if there is, God forbid, an injury crisis, he can fill in wherever, wherever the need be. So versatile, 23, uncompromising, intelligent, great leader. I think it's a, it's a solid profile to have. I mean... If if you're playing FIFA, you're looking for the leader of men uh, category with any new player, right? Um, it, it, given our, our situation right now, potentially already losing two, potentially losing three center backs, and given his leadership and communication profile, is is this someone who you think, based on, on your your research, that would fit a leadership role even if not kind of uh, you know, designated captain? I think he would. I think he's, his organization itself is is an asset. And it's somewhat like I view Jorginho. A lot of people tend mm. to give him a lot of flack. But in terms of when you have him in midfield, you can instantly see the organizing effect that he has on midfield. He dictates positions. He tells people where to make runs. If he's unhappy with positioning, he instantly lets people know you're not doing that job right. And he's somewhat like that when he plays for the Dutch team also. He tends to either play, like he's played left centre-back with De Frey in the centre. He's also played centre with two other centre-backs on his side. He tends to give orders. He's very, very meticulous in how the line should be, where each person should be marking. If there is a run being made behind the centre-back, he shouts out. So 
having those qualities, having an organizer in the back line, I think just trumps anything else. Even if he's not captain, just having that in the back line, I think will be great. Yeah, I mean, if you think back then to some of the best Chelsea teams that we've had over the years, there have been a lot of leaders, a lot of international captains, a lot of uh, vocal uh, folks in our team who, you know, help make the team function and run and hold each other accountable. So that is very exciting to me um, to potentially have someone of that profile come in and not be afraid to get stuck in with their own teammates because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that maybe and, and Sam, if you want to elaborate on these points as well, where there might be concern is you know, sometimes maybe on the turn, a little slow to regain that bearing, a little bit of uh, turning a ship uh, in one direction on a dime. Not always the easiest thing to do. And then I think there's some question marks about progressive passability. But I think also if you're playing in a back four there's potentially an ability to say that Thiago Silva is the individual maybe who's carrying that responsibility if they're playing next to each other in a, in a four. What are your thoughts there? I think you've, again, you've uh, really hit, again, the great points in terms of like what is an opportunity to improve upon. He he does tend to have a very wide turning ratio against quicker forwards. I, I was watching his match against Atalanta and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen The Office. Have you the U.S. office? Of course. Yeah, you remember. Nick might you remember be a fan. <laughs> you remember the scene where Kevin spills his chili? Yes. Yeah, the first time that expression on your face that sort of happens when when you see him turn against quicker forward. It's just what just happened, and and it isn't like just a minor issue. It it tends to be a major issue. People tend to have five to six yards on him by the time he turns and runs back. So when he is going into the attacking third when he's pressing high it can be an issue like uh, you know uh, dan said that in in the in a back four in when you're pressing high when you're defending against quicker forwards it is genuinely uh, a major concern but when i look at say a delict and a kunde partnership somebody who's aggressive versus somebody who's great at defending deeper i think there's a nice balance between that center back pairing so that could be something that the club might be trying to explore in terms of profile to have a JT Carvalho kind of partnership where one guy is just heading everything away and the other guy is reading to see where the second balls go, where the runs are going. So I think it's intelligent in terms of the profiles that the club are targeting. So, and uh, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to add in here. Um, I think there's a lot of apprehension when buying center backs for admittedly, and I know we said we weren't going to bring transfer fees into this, but I'm just saying Come it, on, I'm Nick. just saying Come it, on, I'm Nick. just saying it, buying, <laughs> buying center backs for a large fee. There's a guy in Manchester who gets a lot of shit every week because he's terrible uh, and came in for a large, a large fee uh, who also gets bypassed very easily and, uh, and stuff like that. Do you see the same risk there with Delict as you would with, with Harry Maguire? Or are they completely different case studies? Um, hard to say if they're completely different because I haven't judged him on in the Premier League and in his performances there. But in the international scenario, he tends to do very well even in a back four. But we also have to take into account that he plays next to Virgil Van Dijk, which is um, yep, which is a great <laughs> which is a great asset to have. So um, I think he isn't he isn't at Maguire's level. I think he's a few notches above. He is aggressive in terms of knowing exactly when to go. I think he's intelligent. He tends to get a lot of his pressures right as well. 
He doesn't do many. I think he does like nine or 10 pressures a game, but he tends to get about 40% of them right. So he chooses his moment well, doesn't get phased by, have I made the right decision? He just makes the decision and he regrets it later. So in terms of being uncompromising, uncompromising and making that kind of headstrong decision, I think he's there. But again, it's it's about, are you assembling the right backline? Who is his partner going to be in a back four? If it's going to be Silva and Delict, major issues, major, major issues. If it's going to be Delict and somebody else who's good at covering, who's who's making sure that, you know, Trev you are or taking, somebody like that. Yeah. yeah, Trevor, somebody like Trevor, for example, then I think my, my fears are a little calm. But um, I think he's much better than that. One thing he's bad in terms of versus Maguire is, like Dan mentioned, progression. He doesn't tend to take advanced positions. He's very reluctant to go you know, carry the ball into the attacking third. He's not someone who's going to dribble past pressures and, and you know, just give, give you this Kurt Zuma versus Ajax kind of moments. But um, he also doesn't tend to <clears throat> be very adventurous with his passing. Very safe, short passing first. His passing stats are great. You know, all 90% plus. Very safe in possession. Let other people do their thing. I'm just going to keep it like yeah. lockdown. I guess the question I would have then from a style perspective, right, is is we know that Chelsea typically play, you know, in the opposition's final third. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of our games last year, we had 65, 70, 75 percent possession. Right. And we're we're pretty dominant where Tiago Silva was basically just sitting on the halfway line, uh, pinging balls back into midfield or, or around to the wing backs for for progression you know, understanding what you what you said about, you know, his his game and getting caught out. Is he more of a center back that is comfortable in his own final third kind of you know setting up a defense you know, against his own goal? Or do you think that he could play a more advanced role where he's probably going to be sitting on the halfway line with with the other center backs and pinging balls around? Because, I mean, that it seems to be like if, it, if that's Tuchel's version, right, if that's the way that he wants to play, that that might be an odd fit for for someone like Delict, who is a you know more of a pure defender in a way. I think he, I think he would be pretty comfortable in um, a Thiago Silva kind of role, where you have somebody who's obviously got certain. I mean, I would say certain competency in dealing with quick attackers, but you have two other centre backs flanking him who can engage and do those pressing duties well. Rudiger, in in terms of his aggression, was excellent. He would immediately suffocate somebody and Silva wouldn't engage as much. He would just drop back a little and try to be reactive in versus say the other centre-backs being very proactive in terms of engaging a threat. So if you do have that kind of role where you want your centre-backs on the halfway line, can he do it? Yes. He does that regularly for the Dutch where he tends to be around the centre circle. He tends to be very wary of threats around him. But the moment a counter happens... It's the center backs on the side which engage, or it's the full back on the side who will pressure while he goes back. He immediately tries to see what if this person's bypass, like where does this person go? And then he engages accordingly. He's very comfortable in his defensive third. I would say that's his strength, being a reactive defender. <clears throat> but um, anywhere else, I think it it sort of like raises the question: how well are you covering his weaknesses? And um, are you leaving him vulnerable to? you know, 1v1 threats of people who are very quick, which Juventus tend to do. So that's the question mark. I think the interesting point you made earlier that maybe would be kind of an interesting thought exercise, not for this episode, but for a future one, is just the fact that 
leaving Ajax, having three managers of arguably very different profiles from Sarri to <laughs> yeah. Pirlo to Allegri, is how that may have affected his development, how that may have affected his play style, and to potentially come to Chelsea to work under Tuchel, who, as we've seen already, is really, really good at coaching up defenders and a defense and what that could do to revitalize his career, really round out some of these sharp edges in his performance and help him take an individual next step as a part of a a unit. I think that's what probably has me the most excited because nothing you said has made me think it's not fixable. It's not an addressable element to his game plus some of the intangibles, plus working with Tuchel. I think that, and maybe Nick, you would agree or disagree, I think that's what probably would get a supporter excited is that if you take those elements of what Tuchel could do with him, a little bit of raw material still, that there's a lot of upside, even if there are some question marks today. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued by it. Again, I think our our overall theory of the case this summer and I think in, in future transfer windows... Thomas Tuchel is here is to support him by getting the talent that he thinks he can make into a Champions League or Premier League winning team, right? And while I may not understand all of them in the current moment uh, as to why he, he'll he'll target certain players, I think it's important that if he feels like Matthias Delict is coachable and that he's either going to eliminate some of the mistakes that would make him a vulnerable left center back in, in a Premier League scenario where you're playing on the halfway line, or eventually be the successor to Tiago Silva in that center role, which could make a lot of sense as well, and have two complementary, quicker uh, center backs surrounding you to help cover, then I trust him to make that call, right? He's he's more than deserved uh, that that level of trust from the supporters base. So um, I, I guess that's, that's where I'm at with it. Uh, you know, I think the, some of the commentary here has uh, slowed my role a little bit on, you know, I'm just imagining scenarios where the Premier League is getting faster and more technically sound all the time, right? You look at what Liverpool have done over the last two windows alone and bringing in Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunez, like these are two real attacking talents. Like, <laughs> and you're going to have to deal with both of those players this year. Jota is no slump himself. Salah is still a golden boot winner, right? You look at, what Tottenham added to their team last year uh, with Kulishevsky, like that's a, that's a, a, a player who can fly down the field, like, and obviously contribute a lot in terms of goal contributions, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm just reading the field around us to understand how these players would fit in and help us uh, defend against attacks that are getting better all the time. And I'm, I'm open to these scenarios, I guess, I understand the hesitancy around some of the speed issues here, though. Well, you talked about goal contributions. And look, what would Chelsea be if not for defenders who like to score goals or assist? And as we round out... That's how we get all of our goals, Dan. That's how we get all of them. (laughs) Look, you know, if uh, you know, when certain people zig, you zag. Liverpool goes <laughs> after great attackers. We just go after great defenders. And, you know, that's Ten how we're going to build the championship side. Uh, 11 <laughs> Espelicuetas never do you wrong. And, look, we're going to talk about potential replacements in that uh, attacking wingback, uh, attacking defender mold. In one, Jonathan Kloss, who is a name that kind of came out of nowhere Klaus? a little bit. Klaus? Klaus? I- 
Klaus, Klaus. All right, right, sure. Santa Claus. Um, Anyway, uh, he is a a, a defender. He's uh, involved with the French national team, uh, nearing 30 years old uh, for for those who are maybe unfamiliar, but did have five goals and 11 assists last season, uh, one of the top in the all uh, all five European leagues in terms of total output from a defender. And – Sam, this is one who you potentially think about is is depth, is potentially rotational, is potentially a little bit of an insurance policy for, you know, if our wingbacks go down potentially, which we saw happen last season. So uh, and maybe the replacement option for some departures as well. Absolutely. I I feel like um, this is this is genuinely fixing one of the major issues that we've had in the past season. Chilwell James out and it was disastrous because the three at the back system tends to give a lot of space to the wingbacks, and this guy just fits the brief. Somebody who's very good at utilizing the space on the on the flanks and creating havoc with dribbling and crossing and, and a lot of threat. Like you mentioned, five goals and 11 assists is, is pretty incredible. And um, he's done that consistently over the past two seasons. He, he had six assists last season, and over both seasons, he's you know done 10 big chances. So he's created 10 big chances over the last two seasons. Um, which is pretty great. And I think he was one of Europe's top creators this time as well with 76 key passes. So in terms of having somebody who can capitalize on the extra width that the wing back gets, I think it's it's a clever move for the price that he's being touted at. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty low risk, high reward kind of policy, especially if you're going for, say, a Livramento in a couple of years. I think it's a, it's a good short term plus medium plus long-term plan so what one of his strengths as you as you mentioned is is crossing um and we all obviously have a great crosser and restrains on that side already um in addition uh to to what uh klaus i'm gonna call him klaus would bring um what are your thoughts on you know obviously i think the the drop-off can't be as dramatic as it was, right? I mean, you can't cycle through three or four different players, including Ziyech and Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Espilicueta, um, to to name a few of them who filled that right wing back slot um, in, in the in the five back set. Is is your thought with with Klaus that he comes in and is is a like for like to Reese James, or does he do things differently than than Reese James would do? Obviously, Reese James is a once in a lifetime talent, but kind of just trying to scale up how he fits into the team uh, from, from that standpoint. I would say Reese James is definitely, like without a doubt, a more complete player at right wing back in terms of defense, in terms of understanding when to deliver, while Klaus is just attack first. He's he's very gung-ho with his crossing. He tends to be very aggressive in the way he attacks the box. It's I think he's a very ultra-attacking kind of alternative to Reese James. I would say on or against sides where we are struggling to break down, say, a back five, a very stubborn back five, and, and we have a good center forward in there, you would expect somebody like him to, to cause a nuisance there. Right? Reese is somebody who offers you both sides of the game. I have watched, I haven't watched Klaus as much as I have other guys, but um, he tends to be like defensively, he tends to be a little bit of a you know, a suspect because he tends to spend a lot of time in the attacking third. He likes crossing, he likes running inside, he likes making overlaps, underlaps, but again, counters being left behind, a lot of like his mistakes that I saw were purely down to 
not getting back on time. And uh, again, like age is also an issue, I would say. I mean, he's 30, I think. Uh, in a couple of yeah, in a couple of months in September, I think he turns 30. So whether that work rate with that speed, that dynamism will will sort of maintain over the next couple of years is also a major question mark versus say a, a player like Marcos Alonso, who doesn't depend on those things in the first place. So if 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 you would get uh, somebody like an attacking alternative to offer you something different, I think he's there. I like it's the same with Robertson and Simicus. I, I would say that they're not similar in terms of the roles that they provide, but you've got ample cover with the Greek international. You know, when 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 you want to rotate, you're not really losing any quality in that position. So I think that's the thinking behind. So there also was one interview of him floating around too, Nick, and I don't know if you caught it, but uh, he, he was asked what club did he dream of playing for, and he did indicate since a kid. It's Chelsea and it remains Chelsea. Would that be a little bit of a exciting thing? Someone who actually wants to come and play for Chelsea <laughs> has been has had it on the map, has had it in his dream journal, has had it in his conversations with his personal life coach. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't think so until recently, but boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> to have someone who actually wants to be here. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be great. I mean, I love all these interviews, which is like since I was a young lad. I've desperately wanted to be a Chelsea player and, you know, whatever it, who knows how real or anything these are, but yeah, I mean, like if, if he's making the jump up from uh league on to, to Chelsea, I'm sure he would want to be here, right? Like this is potentially a career defining move for a player who, you know, might not have had a, a look um, at a Chelsea squad until, Todd Bully and co showed up and are kind of using some of these analytics instead of uh, old outdated spreadsheet uh, to determine which players they wanted to, to purchase. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I mean, obviously when you think about chance creation for Chelsea, right? Like this is one of the things we've, we've kind of had as a major theme, Sam, uh, over the last few episodes, you know, Chelsea have been pretty good at creating chances, I would say. Um, over over the years, but have been terrible at finishing them. Anytime you can add chance creation to a team that plays as wide as we do, um, right? This is not a team who goes through the middle like Liverpool. Uh, I'm I'm all for it, and especially if there isn't a drop off in chance creation from Reece James to to Klaus. No, spot on. I mean, I I think it's that's an excellent point because when we looked at the table last season, it was I think we were 22 goals behind, um, and Liverpool and Manchester City and it wasn't that we didn't finish our chances. We actually overperformed on our expected goals. So we actually finished more than we were supposed mm. to. Um, so where do those 22 goals come from? And when you look at your fullback positions, I think that's somewhere where you can reinforce that chance creation or that threat. I always talk about David Raum. I mean, he's somebody who's been creating waves with his, with his chance creation over the past, like, season and before that in the second Bundesliga. This guy is basically similar to Raum, but on the right-hand side. You know, not a very good passer, somebody who's within 67, 68% pass completion, but that's purely because of how he wants to use the ball. He doesn't want to keep it. He doesn't want to play short passes. The moment he sees some gap, he's going to attack it. And and that's okay, because when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, that's exactly what he does. He's not bothered about what my pass percentage is going to be or how many times I've lost the ball. You know, against some sides, you'll see him lose the ball 28, 29 times against good defenses, which Klaus does as well. You know, you, some of his stats are like 23 ball losses, 
28 ball losses, 16 crosses, 17 crosses. So if you can get that risk tilted towards creating chances and losing the ball a little more often, great. But again, that reinforces my point saying that, okay, if we are going for Dembele, if we are going for Kunde, if we are going for Klaus, who tends to cross so much, we're going to lose the ball a lot more often than we do. And we are going to be pretty vulnerable to, to good breaks. So that makes the central midfield or the defensive-minded midfielder far more important to have. Well, we will have to get to that one on another episode <laughs> as it relates to midfield or Operation Boy, Jasmine, as we're calling it. I wonder who you could be talking about. It would be really weird. Um, <laughs> well, we have now gone through three defenders in yeah. detail. We've had a chance to talk about Jules Koundé. We had talked about a chance about Matthias Licht, and we had a chance to talk about Jonathan Klaus, as it were. And Klaus. My, Klaus. my boy. Klaus it is. Nick, Nick uh, how what, what would your excitement ranking be for the three, and maybe just you know scale of one to ten on each of them? Yeah, I think I'm up on Jules Kunde after we talked, which I did not expect to be, um, but I but I appreciate a different perspective um, from from Sam on that. So I'd probably rate that to be like a a seven. Um, I would rate uh, Matthias Delict probably like a, a seven as well, and then. Uh, Klaus, I would probably go a little bit lower, but that's only because uh, in my mind, you have Dujon Sterling already on your, on your roster that you could fill the spot with if, if needed, but you know, whatever, that's just me talking. So I'd probably go like a six on that one. That's a great success Borat style for me. If I manage to change your mind. Um, <laughs> well, so, so Sam, in your own ranking scale of one to 10 for these three players, how excited would you be? for them joining Chelsea. So Kunde, Delict, and and Klaus, what would your one to ten be? Um, I think Kunde would be the highest, seven point five probably. Because I think if again it depends on what system we're playing. If you're playing a back four, I would drop it a little bit. But if you're playing back three, seven and a half, eight would be, I think, a fair rating in my eyes. Um Delict would be somewhere around six, six and a half. Um again, I'm really sorry for doing this, but if the finances work out, uh, six and a half. <laughs> if 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 you get him on a good deal, um, great. I mean, it would I would bump it up a little bit because he's arguably a good profile and and at twenty three, arguably the best CCV in the market out there. So would be very happy. And Klaus for the same reasons that Nick said. You know, somebody that isn't a priority position. Somebody we're just getting because it's a good deal to pass by. So I'll just probably go with a four four and a half. All right. Well, I will not leave the listeners wanting with uh, out giving some ratings as well. I would land in a seven, seven, five camp as well for Kunde. I think Delict is, yeah, six half. Um, I, I think, again, to your point around the formation, it definitely leaves a lot of question marks as to uh, where he'll fit in. And then uh, Klaus is just one where whether it was Matson who looks most likely to be ready to go on loan now or Dujon Sterling or others, you have options to play around. And I, I feel like in isolation, the chance creation information looks great. He has a little bit more senior football under his belt. So you could be pretty happy about that. I feel like it's a flat five and kind of I'm lukewarm on it. If it happens, good for him and we'll support him. If it doesn't happen, we probably filled it with an internal you know individuals so that's where we're at we want to know what you think listeners though give us your 
one to ten confidence ratings after this episode on how excited you'd be for each of these players and let us know what other defenders we didn't get into but we're going to actually break this into two parts and we're going to be back with the second part which goes into the attackers so uh nick sam you know you're going to be here you know for the moment because we're yeah. recording this live and this is going to mm-hmm. be in two parts but for the listeners it's going to come a day later so uh goodbye to you for a day listeners uh and nick and sam please stay around and don't leave me that's gonna wrap up this one chelsea fans but until next time you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high